Psalm 56, again, finds David on the run and surrounded by enemies. In particular, the superscription tells us that this psalm was written when the Philistines seized him in Gath. You can cross-reference that with 1 Samuel 21, verse 10. His enemies sought to destroy him, but David confidently asserts his confidence in God. And so we'll call Psalm 56 a song of confidence in God, a song of confidence in God. We'll see here in this psalm that God knows the suffering of his people, but he will deliver them from danger in his time. Also, just as an interesting side note, it says that the, the superscription says the psalm is to be sung according to Jonath Alam Rahokim, which translates as a dove on distant oaks. A dove on distant oaks. Let's begin with verse 1 and 2 with the complaint. Be gracious to me, O God, for man has trampled upon me. Fighting all day long, he oppresses me. My foes have trampled upon me all day long, for they are many who fight proudly against me. Notice how David begins here. Be merciful to me, O God. Be gracious to me. That verb, be gracious or be merciful, means to give unmerited favor. David's calling upon God's grace, not his own merit, as he prays. He identifies his crisis. My life is in danger. They're trampling upon me. Literally, I'm being crushed by these various battles. Again, the fighting here were the verbal battles, the plots which were leading to this assault. David elaborates in verse 2 on his situation. He, I'm surrounded by foes. The word foes there, interesting term, means insidious watchers. They're, they're, they're spying upon him. They're, they're watching from a distance. Uh, they're, they're, they're sneaking up on him and, and to see what he's doing. He says, there are many who fight against me, O Most High. I love the fact that in the midst of this opposition, in the midst of being surrounded by enemies, he cries out to the Most High with his complaint. Notice in verse 3 and 4, the confidence. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. Boy, there's something we all ought to learn. That's a truth. Not, that's not just a verse to learn. That's a verse to apply. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? David affirms, or reaffirms, rather, his faith in God. You know, he's, he's praying here directly to God. And uh, he says, listen, I'm not going to fear. I'm going to put my trust in you when I'm afraid. Listen, fear has a, has a way of doing interesting things to people. Uh, again, as we saw uh, in a previous study of Psalm 55, uh, when, when fear grabs a hold of us, and God's created us with a certain degree of fear. Fear is good in the right context. That fear that he's created us causes us to either flee or fight uh, in a particular given situation. Um, however, fear, and because we have a sin nature, uh, fear can also get uh, go too far and grip us that we don't do anything, okay? Uh, and we just become stuck. And so David says, when I'm afraid, when I'm in fear, I'm going to put my trust in you. Again, he repeats that, in God I've put my trust, I will not be afraid. So when I'm afraid, God, I'm going to trust in you, and because I trust in you, I'm not going to be afraid. That word trust means to put, to, to put or to be reliant upon God or to be secure in God. Jeremiah 17, 7, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Proverbs 16, 20, whoever trusts in the Lord will be happy. Uh, again, that's a concurrent theme throughout the book of Proverbs and Psalms. God 
is our source of trust. Now, how is it that God takes away our fear or that God removes our fear? He does it through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And you can cross-reference that with 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 5, uh, when you have some uh, time. So David trusts in God, and he concludes there in verse 4, I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? What can mere man do? This is the merciful God. This is the most high God. This is the God who speaks, the God who is angry with sin. This is the God who is for David. This is the God who has delivered him. Uh, he, he has nothing to fear from man. Man, it's just like Jesus said, you know, don't fear what man can do to you. Fear him who can destroy not just your life, but also your soul. You don't need to fear man. Verse 5 and 6 gives us the confederacy. All day long they distort my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They attack, they lurk, they watch my steps as they've waited to take my life. Now David uh, begins to more specifically define his oppression here. They're, they're, they're not just attacking him verbally, but now they're abusing what David says. They're taking what he has said and twisting it around. They're trying to confuse his words. And behind it all are these evil thoughts they have against him. That word evil means injury or calamity. Listen, they, their intention is to cause him hurt, to cause him misery, to give him distress. This is what this confederacy of enemies has agreed to do to David. David describes this, uh, the, their conspiracy in verse 6. They're organized, they're deceptive, they're stalking him like an animal on the hunt. Verse 7 and 9 brings us comfort though. Because of wickedness, cast them forth. In anger, put down the peoples, O God. You have taken account of my wanderings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. Again, David's praying, Lord, are, these, are my enemies going to get away with it? Are they going to escape their iniquity? No, God. You, in your anger, cast them down. Cast these people down. Now, God's anger here, it's not an irrational outburst. Okay, You know, when we think of anger, so often we're thinking of that emotional or irrational emotional outburst. But that's not so with the case of God. God's anger is a, is a well-thought-out moral response to immorality. A well-thought-out moral response to immorality. David expresses assurance, God, I know you're going to care for me, you're going to act on my behalf, you number my wanderings. In other words, God's keeping account of his life. He's got all David's tears in a bottle. In other words, he's keeping track of David's sorrow. Uh, talk, David talks about his book. Are they not in, all in your book? In other words, God is keeping a permanent record of everything that David has experienced. And perhaps that's why he can have confidence in God. Remember, this is a song of confidence. David knows, or God knows David's suffering. He responds to his prayer in verse 9. God's actions uh, against David's enemies uh, comes uh, because why? Because David prayed. See, that's the weapon of our warfare is prayer. He cries out to the Lord. Judgment then follows upon his enemies. And as David prays, he sees results. He calls on God's power. 
and the power of evil is broken. This I know because God is for me. I love that word to know there, yada. It means to know experientially. David knows God is not, excuse me, David knows that God will act, not just because the Bible says so, but because he has seen it for himself time and again. He's experienced it time and again, and he knows it'll happen in this case. Verse 10 to 13, we close this psalm with a confession. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Your vows are binding upon me, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death, indeed my feet from stumbling, so that I may walk before God in the light of the living. Again, we see the, the repetition of the confession of verse 4. God is the Lord. God is Yahweh. His word stands true and active. David's praising the God because he not only speaks truth, but he carries out truth. And so he wants to honor God. Now, you know, a word I'd like to just add here. Uh, he says, in God whose word I praise. We need to be very careful. Now, we, we do not want to worship God's word. Okay? When it says to honor God's word, it's to honor God. Honor him because of what he has said. We, we ought to be praising God for his word, but we don't worship the word, okay? The word, yes, it's sacred. Uh, we, we, we should be respectful of it, obviously. We should heed it, but it is an inanimate object. It is the God behind the word in whom we trust. I don't put my trust in the Bible. I put my trust in the God of the Bible, and because my trust is in the God who authored the Bible, I know the Bible is true. Okay, see, I, I hope you follow that, that logic there. You know, so many times, you know, well, I, I, I trust the Bible. No, I don't trust the Bible. You don't trust the Bible? I trust the God of the Bible. See, that takes it and sets it above or sets it apart from every other book. You know, people say, you know, people can easily attack, oh, well, you know, you trust that book. How do you know that book? Why do you trust that book? Listen, I get right to the heart of the matter. I trust the God of this book. I believe the God of this book. Therefore, I know that anything this book says is true. Okay, we got to put our trust in the living God. And that's what David is expressing here. Otherwise, we're elevating the book above God. The only reason we can trust the Bible is because of the author of it. Because the author is true. Because the author is holy. He's just. He's righteous. And so on and so forth. David concludes, In God I put my trust... Again, he finds his security in the Lord. His fear is vanished. His enemies are crushed because he is safe in God's hands. And then David, in verse 12, promises to fulfill his vows that he's made to God. He, he describes them as your vows. I like that. You know, he made this vow to God. It, it's a serious vow. It's not just some, uh, some vow that he just, you know, oh, yeah, if you do this, I'll do that type of thing, and with no intention of doing it. He understands that when he said it, it belongs to the Lord. It's his vow, and therefore, he's got to keep it. And he's going to praise God. Now, we don't know what the particular vow may have been, but nonetheless, we see his intention to keep it. You have delivered my soul from death. Again, um, God is securing David. God is keeping David. God is keeping his feet from stumbling, if you will. Uh, in other, and why is God doing this? So that David can walk before him in the land or in the light of the living. So in Psalm 56, we learn that in the midst of trials, we must 
trust God. He's never promised that we won't have adversity. In fact, he's told us we will have adversity in this world. But he has promised to be with us in the midst of it. And so let us trust him. And as we do, we will experience the truth of his word, the truth of his promise. And with David, we can praise the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank and praise you that, Lord, we can come to you and we can cry out to you. And in our fear, Father, we can, we, we, we can cry out and you will hear us and you will deliver us. We have confidence in you, Lord, because of who you are, because of what you've done. And so, Father, in that time when fear creeps in, I pray that we would focus on you. And in focusing on you, Lord, you will remove that fear from us. Father, whatever situation someone might be even facing now, whatever discouragement that's upon them, whatever difficulty they're experiencing, God, I pray that you will be ever-present there, their help in their time of trouble. Rescue them, deliver them from all their troubles, and give them confidence to know that you will keep their feet from stumbling. We pray in your son's precious name. Amen.